Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckstables? What the fuck, affiliacs? Uh, who's on the show? Dave Ross is on the show. Funny guy. I uh, used to do a, a Sex Nerd Sandra podcast, but, you know, I've, I've worked with him a few times. He used to run a show downtown, and I was happy to talk to him, so that's coming up. Tomorrow night at the Tripany House. Tomorrow night is the 11th. It's a Tuesday. And then the following Tuesday is the 18th. I'm going to do a couple more shows if you want to come. I think there's probably tickets at trippanyhouse.org. I don't know. I ran the new hour. I ran it in New York. I ran it for the people. Thank you for coming to the Skirball Center, selling out two shows. Felt good. It felt great. Uh, I felt weird before. It's so bizarre to me how much preparation I can do and working through new material and, and trying to structure things and trying to put it together. And then I get up there and I just want to make it real, man. I just want to get in the present. I want to feel some awkward pauses. I want to get some big laughs, but I want there to be some weird lulls where I just know that I'm on stage alone, breathing, holding a cup of water perched on a stool. Sometimes I just want to feel that. I don't know how that plays necessarily. It was good, though. I was, it was very nice. I really thank you for coming. Um, and you know, I, I, I had a good time. Chris Garcia opened for me. It was great. Let's walk through the New York experience because I had a couple of interesting moments. Some of you you've may, may have seen me on the Today Show. I'm sorry I didn't tell you previous. Sometimes I forget these things. I don't prioritize it in my head that you should get up and watch the Today Show. I wasn't even sure why I was doing the Today Show, but it, it was odd. It was an interesting time. If you want to go do a little uh, research, you can. I'm sure you can find my segment on the Today Show from last Friday. I, I I was a little out of sorts in New York because I just was. I've been waffling, man. I've been waffling in my my sense of what the hell's going on. I, 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 sometimes I don't know whose life I'm living. Sometimes I'm just walking down the street and I'm like this guy in a 51-year-old body going like, how'd we get here, man? This is crazy. Look, you're a walking, talking, grown-ass man with ideas and thoughts who seems to be having a career of some kind. How did that happen? Who was in charge of that? What, what, where are we at? It's almost like this guy inside of me has been sleeping or he's just been in a box for the last you know, 30 years, and he's like, what? wow, that things have really changed since you locked me in that room. Who the hell knows when you locked that guy in that room? So that's how I was feeling. I was a little like of two selves, 
and one self was sort of in the, in reality the other one was like struggling to hold on to you know w- what i assume is my perception of things and and i knew i had to go do the today show but i knew that it was only going to be four minutes and i knew that there were three hosts this woman tamron this guy willie al roker who i've met before once or twice i knew i was going to enter that that weird you know amplified it's not surreal but it's sort of hyper real it's definitely like here we go we're on the ride I knew that was going to happen, man. I knew going in and I I didn't know if I could adjust to it because I I knew that they were all three going to be asking me questions. I had four minutes. And if I wanted to get anything out that that made any sense, I was just going to have to, you know, get into that moment and just, you know, kind of push it out there. And, uh, you know, you get to the studio. It's 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 all very by rote over there. They've got a machine going and, you know, you're just, you know, a temporary moving part into the uh, the the kind of like frenetic machine that goes into keeping eyes on the tube in the morning, heading to work. I got out there. They brought me out. They sat me down. There's Al Roker's head right next to mine. There's a hello, Al Roker's head is what my brain is thinking. There's this guy, Willie, who I had just met previous. We had a little conversation. And then there's this woman, Tamron. And then I just, you know, they introduced me and I just went, I just flew off the handle right out of the gate. Things got weird with me and that woman. And uh, it was not a bad weird. It was an interesting weird. Al was laughing. That guy, Willie, threw me a curveball with some drug uh, question. Didn't know quite know where to go with it. Didn't know how we how much we could do on the Today Show. Followed my heart. Followed my rage. Followed uh, my charm into a, a, a kind of a happy mess of a Today Show segment. I think, uh, I think Al Roker had a very good time. I think that there's a moment when you deal with TV personalities... You know, where you, you, you know, once the cameras go on, you got this one thing. And then when they're off, you got that one thing, but there's another thing trying to get out. There's another thing. Like, I, I think that all people who are on television that have to operate at a certain frequency, just below that frequency is, is someone going like, please just, just get us out of here for a few minutes. Please. Can you just get us out of here for a few minutes, please? We can't do it, but you can do it. And I feel like that was the energy, the energy was driving me. I feel like in somewhere in my heart and in my mind that Al and Willie and Tamron were like, please do something, make something happen. Could somebody make something happen here? Because I, I don't know if I'm alive right now. Maybe I'm projecting, but uh, we all had a pretty good time. And my mother enjoyed the segment and I got some good feedback. It's nice when my mommy can enjoy something I do. And uh, so that was that. I did that in the morning. Uh, I did uh, Opie and Jim. It was good to see Jim. It was good to see Opie. That was fun. So what else happened? Okay, so I do the two shows at Skirball. They were great. Had a good time. Ate a lot of food in New York. Too much food. Was at the Bowery Hotel. Was in an elevator with Jimmy Page. I know I got a lot of elevator stories, but this was one of those ones that took me off. It was, I was off guard. I was in the elevator. Some people walked in, and then the door opened again, and another guy walks in with a gray ponytail, and these people all know each other, and I'm like, holy fuck, that's Jimmy Page. That's Jimmy Page right there. Right there. Right there. The guy that blows minds for eternity with his music. Forever. Those riffs will be as huge as they are. So I just, I didn't say nothing. I just, I looked at the side of his head. I looked at his flat, weird face. I looked at his gray ponytail. And I tried to mentally extract, mentally extract some guitar wisdom from that massive mind of Jimmy Page. And I just, I, uh, but you know what? He's pretty well protected mystically. I felt a wall. 
You know, I sent my feelers out there. I let the little kid in the box hold the hold the vessel together as I sort of slightly astral projected into Jimmy Page's ear to try to work some stuff out, to try to pull some stuff out of there. Not steal it, but just sort of, you know, take anything that's left over. But he was very well protected. Could not glean it. Did not happen. What? What, Pauly Shore? What are you doing here? Uh, you told me to come by. Don't play along. Okay. Uh, wait, what are you, are you in the neighborhood? Uh, yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> I was, down, I was down, uh, down the street. Yeah, and I saw, and I saw, uh, I was down by Crystalia's. Yeah, well, did yeah, you Crystal- live over here? No, he was at Intelligentsia Cafe. Oh, over in Silver Lake. Yeah. Oh, he, you moved to Silver Lake, huh? Yeah, I moved to Silver Lake. Oh man. Yeah, I live in a fourplex. Really? Yeah. What the fuck? Is I live. A, what is a fourplex? Fourplex is, uh, it's 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 one building. Yeah. And it's got four apartments in it. So, Two yeah. girls live below me, and then a dude with a hairpiece lives next to me. Is that what you call him? <laughs> he's an attorney, and he's got a hairpiece. Every time I'm like doing my laundry, yeah, I like I look over, and there's a styrofoam head, and it's got like a hairpiece on it. Reminds me of my father. Really? Yeah, because my just, dad wears a hairpiece. There was a comic I can't remember his name. He used to yeah. travel with like three or four different ones. They yeah. so he'd travel with three or four styrofoam heads, and he'd ask you like, which one do you think I should do? And well, you'd have to, you know, chime yeah, in. It's it's one of those it's one of those hair pieces that are are so you know I mean it looks, it looks like, like a hair piece yeah <laughs> when he's walking around <laughs> when he, no. but it's cool he's a sweet he's like an attorney guy he's, I guess newly divorced and he's he's living in one of those newly he, divorced with a hair piece living, living alone, in a fourplex next Polish to Polish Shore. Shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a that's a sad story a he's little bit. Ge- he's yeah he's gemmed up to me a lot though lately yeah like he's say? sweeter like you know like at first he was looking at me kind of like stern yeah like. You know, yeah. like standoffish, yeah. and now it's like sweet eyes, like not gay sweet eyes, but, no, it's like, but like, like nice, like help me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then I have a, a girl that lives below me, yeah. and she she actually wrote me a letter, and this is true. This was like when I first moved into it. She wrote me a letter, and she left it on my door. She goes, "If you're gonna have sex, you know, please shut the windows." And turn on the air conditioning because the walls are paper thin. And she says, if I have sex, I'll do the same for you. Really? Yeah. So whoever lived there before obviously set some sort of weird standard. Yeah. Just some screaming maniac who yeah. uh, had no respect for the neighbors. Yeah. So that's kind of so interesting. Guess, yeah. Did you write back and say, like, no need to do it on your end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, yeah, be- I apologize. I didn't. I would say I kind of embarrassing, you know what I mean? Because yeah. sometimes, you know, you get girls that are, like, but was vocal. It at, but was it after you, had, did you feel like she had heard something? And yeah, just- she did hear something because it was, it was the night after I had sex with a girl. Oh. Yeah. Sh- are you and loud? Some, well, I'm not loud, but the girl was. Okay. You know, some girls are loud, some girls are not loud. You don't say anything? You don't make any noises? I mean... Yeah, well, sometimes. <laughs> nah, when you're older, you don't... It's not, it's not as loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like... It's a little... The I've orgasm been, is a little loud. I'm very loud, and I don't even know that I'm doing it, really? but I'm like, God damn it! Right, loud. right. I don't even know why. It just happens. Um, I was hoping so. you'd say some, like, sort of signature... You know, Polly thing when you came. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> that would be. But yeah, it's it cool. It's cool living living out there. You know, I never. You know, like this area is like it's it's cool because it reminds. I feel like an American now. I feel like. <laughs> what does that mean? You're living in Hollywood. Well, that's what I mean. Like my whole life, I've lived in the city. So, like most Americans, Silver Lake's the country. You're out here in the Midwest of Silver Lake, huh? No, but a lot of Americans, what they yeah. do is they. Uh, 
they they work in the city and then they drive home to the suburb. Mm-hmm. So you you work at the store, you come in, you yeah. do your show, you yeah. do your whatever, you, and then you come here. It's very peaceful. Yeah, so it's I true. feel yeah, I feel like when I drive down Fountain, yeah, you know, and I'm cruising twenty minutes. It's nice, I, right? Yeah, it's great, dude. I feel like very peaceful. Like yeah, it's nice. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, because yeah, I. Because that's right, what America does. Sure. And when I first moved out here, I thought like, oh my God, where the fuck do I live? But now I'm like, thank God. No, it's nice. It's great because you can There's just something. shoot right down Fountain and over Silver Lake's nice and over here is nice. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I listened to uh, the podcast that you did with Dice. Mm. Oh, wow. And uh, I don't know, man. It seems like you've sort of, you know, locked into something. Now, like It's a very interesting format. Mm. Uh, you've got Polly Shore's Interested podcast is unlike any other podcast because I did it and when he told me to do it mm. I was like this is a little fucking weird mm. you're like I want you to talk about Lenny Bruce but I'm going to talk to Kitty Bruce mm. and then uh, who's Lenny's daughter and then when you're talking about Lenny Bruce I'll play you what she said and you can react to that so you're mm. almost like facilitating a conversation mm. between two people that can't really respond to each other right but it's yeah. it has an interesting effect to mm. it mm. How'd it's, you come up yeah, with that? Well, it's, I just, you know, I mean, you've been so success, so successful with this format yeah. and you've kind of, you know, been the first of it. And it's kind of like, we even talked about like, this is where the business is. I mean, everyone's got a podcast now. It's like, I just wanted to try to do something that was different. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to try to come up with something that hadn't been done before. So I was talking to my agents and, and we're just, you know, I just riffing, you know, yeah. riffing and talking and you know coming up with it and then we started talking about like interviewing someone and then someone commenting on it and it's almost kind of like most of the people that I interview are knowledgeable about the person that I'm interviewing Uh so that's why like so that was the idea yeah because like or at least about the person that you're interviewing that other person about because I mean Mm. you interviewed Rodney Dangerfield's wife yeah and then like Dice was commenting on on Rodney yeah but the thing that was cool about it it was like Dice was almost exclusively Mm. commenting on Rodney Mm. so it wasn't weird kind of Dice stuff it was like thoughtful and about something that yeah. you know, both of them related but to that I can a, relate to a lot of people a lot of people that are, are comedy fans you go back like a lot of people don't know Rodney Dangerfield gave Andrew Dice Clay his start right on and the special yeah on yeah. the Young Comedian special on HBO and Sam was on it yep. and there was a couple other guys Dom. on it Dom and in in Bob Nelson, I guess was on it. <laughs> yeah, Roseanne, and, yeah. And I just kind of wanted to bring bring people back to that time, you know. And and Rodney is like, it's like, you know, it's he's. I don't want to say he's forgotten, but the, the, he doesn't the, get the respect, right? Oddly, <laughs> yeah. No, but he's so fucking funny, dude. He's the like, greatest. He was like the greatest. Yeah, he he. <coughs> excuse me. His one liners were just like. No, he was great. Yeah, it, it is and, very and, ironic know. and weird mm-hmm. that he does not get the respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. I just I don't understand why either. So who else have you had on, and what was the um, uh, the pairings that that are up now? Yeah. Well, this this week was um, this week was uh, I interviewed Carrot Top. And then Larry the Cable Guy comments. And what we find out is that they both started together in West Palm Beach, Florida uh-huh. in 86. Where'd you find Dan? Does he live out here? Um, no, he was uh, filming a Prilosec commercial <laughs> in LA. Yeah. And I told him that I, you know, because I asked Carrot Top, yeah. I'm like, who do you want me to, to comment on yours? And he gave me a couple people, uh-huh. a list of people. And, and he said, uh, Larry the Cable Guy. And I'm like, oh, I'm friends with him. I'll reach out to him. And, and I just happened to get him in town. Oh, that's that great. Week. So he was How's doing he doing? A, he's great. 
He's was a sweet it, guy. So it's it's Dan talking about Carrot Top intercut with Carrot Top talking about yeah. Carrot Top. Yeah, and, and they started in the same place. Yeah, they started well, I remember in, in, when, Palm, in Palm Beach. I remember when Dan Whitney through, was Dan Whitney and he was yeah. working at the store. Yeah, don't you? I kind of he didn't I, work much. It was like belly room. I don't know if he was. Yeah. I don't know if he was even a regular. Yeah. He's he's done so well with that that whole redneck. Yeah, thing. I would say it's so. Like, Fuck, dude. Yeah, and he's a, sweet, he's a sweet guy. Yeah, who else you um, got? Up? I had um, one coming up. I have Kitty Bruce and Mark Marin. Oh, that's a good comments one. Comments. That was so nice. You one. sent me that yeah. email of the, the voicemail from yeah. Kitty. Yeah, I don't even remember she, how that went. I remember I was being sort of sort of like I'm not a well, you know I don't know everything, but you know. No, I, it was cool because you know for for me like I always think of the the listener and and you know like having you on was a big deal for me to have you on. Um, not just because we're friends in the store and stuff like yeah. that, but just because you're just, you know, a lot of shit. And a lot of people don't know Lenny Bruce. Right. It's hard and they to just don't. You know what I mean? And, and the cool part about, I think, your interview with the Kitty Bruce is it's not about you. Yeah. It's about Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And, 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 so I really got a big education about who Lenny Bruce was. And I think your audience and my audience are going to learn that Lenny Bruce was, I mean, you want to tell him yeah. who the fuck he was. Dude. Right. Well, I, well, it's, it's hard like, to put him into context. Yeah. I mean, that's the trickiest thing is everybody knows the name. Mm -hmm. They know the idea. They get a, a sort of a sense that he was important in the sort of freedom of speech thing, mm -hmm. but to really kind of sit down and talk about, you know, those records and what they were at the time and, and, and why he was important. And also the fact that, like, you know, a lot of stuff he talked in Yiddish sometimes. Mm, and he had, yeah. It's just, he had a cadence. Yeah, oh, definitely but, had a rhythm. But also, like, you, you, you watch a Scorsese film or a Tarantino film, like, it's timeless. Yeah. Like, those films are timeless. Right. And Lenny Bruce is timeless. Some of so it. So if you, well, if you just watched him, he yeah. was just, he's just, like, yep. one of these guys. So I just thought, you know, interviewing him and having you comment on that was, and like, a really Kitty, cool. I, I'm looking forward to hearing it because I, I, you know, I'd like to hear Kitty talk. Yeah, because she wouldn't, she wouldn't let me air it, you know, because at first, because, because you know, I got these photos of you guys. Yeah, you know, I got like images to yeah. put it on iTunes and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm like, I want to put it on. She's like, Oh, let me, let me hear it first. Oh, really? So yeah, because because so it's, that was so very, that voicemail you sent me was her signing off on yeah, it. Yeah, signing off on it. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So it was really yeah. Years How many are up? Um, I have so far about, um, I'd have to say 10. We have the, the Robin Williams one is really good too. I like the Robin Williams one. That's up there? That's up there. That's where I interview uh, uh, Rick Overton and Ed Bagley Jr. comments, which is really cool because you learn a lot about Ed Bagley Jr. Cause I know. He's, it's great. He's so good, dude. He's so great, man. Yeah, he, he's awesome. I've had him in here. It's crazy. He is so, I mean, who you knew that he imagine. did? I didn't. I didn't know he was doing heroin with John Belushi. I know, it's crazy. It's like Ed Bagley Jr., Mr. He, yeah. Environmental yeah, Guy. Yeah, he ended up at the Manson house once. Yeah. I, I got a lot of weird shit out and, there. Uh, and, you know, I have uh, a lot of people. So Cool, man. Out. Now, tell me about this... Uh, the Showtime, uh, the documentary, Polly Shore Stands Alone. Is this what I saw you working on uh, like last year? Editing it, you mean? No, I don't know. Was I wasn't, it? you didn't see me film it. What was that song you were closing with for? for oh, that? no. Okay. That was, that was like the political thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. probably political. No, this is just a straight documentary. This is something that I shot in the Midwest. It's kind of like this, this, this smaller tour. I'm playing these kind of obscure markets like Antigo, Wisconsin. Yeah. Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I'm playing, the, you know, in the middle of the dead of winter. Yeah. Um, and I'm, while I'm at the same time moving my mom out of her house of 40 years and trying to get her situated. She's in it? Well, just the real th of me trying to... I mean, your parents, are they still around? Yeah. So do you ever deal with... Are they elderly? Yeah, but not that old yet. 
Okay. They both have significant others around too. Okay, but at some point yeah, you're going to be called to do things. I, I hope you know, that they, they don't call me. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so I do. I'm just like you know you have to you, you want to kind of do it right. You know I had to move her out of the house and but is, so is all she, that stuff. Is she in the mo- in the doc- I don't want to say. I don't want to say because I don't want people to. You know what I mean. I, I don't want to like. I rather have people see it. Okay. You know, because I don't want to, because it's something special that happens at the end. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's cool. Well, now I got to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- um, How's she doing? She's She's got Parkinson's, and, and when you have Parkinson's and you have good help, you can live for a long time. So okay. she'll be around for a long time. <laughs> okay. I think. Yeah? Yeah. And do, do you still enjoy her company? It's tough. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's hard, you know? It's sad. Yeah, dude, I did a show in, uh, I did, you're going to love this, I did a show in, uh, where was it, a Woodstock, uh-huh. I was there um, a couple weeks ago, and Danny Stone came to my show. Oh, no. Yeah, dude, how hey, awesome how is are that? You? What's, uh, what's going on? But he's in, like, disability, lives up in Woodstock. Is he all sweaty and weird? And uh, can't look at I you didn't and... see him, he wouldn't hang out until I got off stage, and then I'm like, dude, where the fuck did you go, dude? What happened was, is, before I go on stage, you know, when before you do a show, everyone's like, oh, blah, blah, blah's here. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, so they said, "Oh, Danny Stone's here. Does do you want him to come up?" And uh-huh. I'm like, "No." Danny Stone used to date your mom back in like when I was there. Yeah. So I said, "No, I don't want to see him." You know, I don't want to see him before my show. Yeah, be, I just kind of I don't like your to head see up. people. Yeah. So I'm about to go on. So then after I finish, mm. the first person I want to see is who? Danny Stone. Danny Stone. Sure. I want to see yeah. him, you know? And I asked the person and they're like, "He's gone." So he didn't hang out. He didn't hang out with me. And then he called me in my office like a week later. He's like, "Oh, I couldn't hang out. I had to get out of there." Oh, really? I'm like, oh, that sucks. Well, he maybe something triggered or something. He says there's too many people, and he felt uncomfortable. Oh, he's my. got a cane and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, because he did so much coke, dude. He's fucked up. Is that it? Back then, yeah. I didn't know you could fuck up your legs on coke. Well, no, I don't he's know. probably have something else wrong with him. He's got some stenosis. Some. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that <laughs> oh is. Oh, my God. All right, let's get back to this. So the documentary premieres December 4th at 8 p.m. on Showtime. Yeah. They're going to run it a few times. I'm excited, so it'll come out yeah. good? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm liking it. I'm having it pretty pretty cool, exciting. It's going to be on. Also, we're doing an L.A. premiere at the Comedy Store uh, November 12th. Uh-huh. So, oh, um, really? Yeah, so if you're around next Wednesday I think or I, Wednesday. I think I will be around. Yeah, we're doing it at 8.30. In the main room? In the main room. We already have like about 250 RSVPs. Oh, that's great, So man. Gary Shanley said he's coming and a lot oh, of yeah? people are going to come. Oh, yeah. that's cool, man. Yeah. So. Uh, well, you know what? I'm happy you're doing all this stuff, man. I'm, I'm rooting for you, Polly. Well, you know, we, we root for each other at this point. <laughs> it's kind of like the little engine that could, you know? Again. You just got to keep going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I always like seeing you. Thanks for coming by. Right, thanks, guys. Well, that was wild, right? Pauly Shore just stopping by surprised me. Surprised me. Pauly Shore's uh, Interested is available on iTunes and at PaulyShore.com. The episode with uh, me, Mark Marin, on it is out this Wednesday, November 12th. Uh, and the new documentary, Pauly Shore Stands Alone, premieres on Showtime December 4th. I've grown to like that boy as time has gone on, <laughs> you know. Before I was interrupted by Pauly, where was I? I was in New York. Took the train Saturday morning up to Boston, the Acela. And that night we did comics come home. At the Boston Garden. Boston Garden, you fucking kidding me? It was, it was amazing. 
The Cam Neely Foundation raised a bunch of money. There was like 12,000 people there. It's Dennis Leary Singh. And I didn't realize it, but I did the first one, and this was the 20th anniversary. I was on the first one of these things. This is my, I did two early on, and this was like my return. But what a fucking bill, man. Dennis looked great. He had some good shit. And uh, Lenny Clark was there. I go back with Lenny. You know, I started in Boston, so a lot of these cats, you know, I hadn't seen, but I've seen over the years. But there was one dude there, Joe Yannetti. Joe Yannetti is this comic from Boston who I literally did open mics with when I was in college. And I hadn't seen him in almost 30 years. And it was great. It was like I, I was blown away. I almost cried. He just kicked uh, throat cancer. He looks great. But And Tony V was there. Adam Roth was on guitar. I hadn't seen him in a while. Robert Kelly fucking killed. Bill Burr closed it out. He was amazing. Jimmy Fallon showed up. Gaffigan was there. It was so weird when you're around people that you knew when you were a kid, you know, how you sort of feel like a kid and you kind of act like a kid. I mean, fucking Lenny Clark, his brother Mike Clark, whose phone number I still remember because he used to book rooms. Oh, my God. And there, you know, it was just great. Some of them have kids now. I, you know, we're old guys and everybody's got something going on. Life doesn't get any easier necessarily as you get older, but uh, it was very moving and it was a great time. And, and Cam Neely was great. And I hope they raised some money. I met all the Boston Bruins and I got to be honest with you. I don't know fucking anything about hockey, but I was excited to meet the Bruins. <laughs> they were, they all looked like they were 12. They were beat up 12. Yeah, but they were they they're like kids. It was it was mind blowing. And Dennis had said to me, it was funny because because Dennis is a hockey fan. He says, you know, I'm running up to these guys, and I'm like, oh my god, you're the guy. I love it. And, and he's like, they're kids. I'm, I'm acting like some weird old man. Oh man. All right. Do I sound too happy? It was fun, right? All right. Let's talk to Dave. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. Cross. So where the where the fuck did you come from, Dave Ross? I mean, what you know, like I like I know you from from Holy Fuck. No, from Holy Fuck, but also you used to be a sidekick on the uh, Sex Nerd Sandra. Yes, yeah, you, you were like the uh, the male balance. You were the uh, Adam Carolla of that situation. Sure, sure. The Adam Carolla and the yeah, you're right. That's exactly what I was. I was like the dumb, regular, funny dude. guy, dude. Right. right. And now you got your own podcast. Yes, called that's true. called Terrified. What's the angle? I interview people about either what they're afraid of or what they don't like about themselves. Why is everyone doing my show? Why is, <laughs> everyone's doing their own version of my show. You know that wasn't the intention. It, no, I'm, uh, I'm kidding. Don't get nervous. No, that was the intention. I know. Uh. No, I'm glad, I'm glad that the, the, the doors are open and then everyone's finding their portal into the heads of others. Oh, yeah. So how long have you been in L.A.? 
I've been in LA a long time. I mean, there was a two year gap in the at the beginning where I was in Fresno, but I moved here in 2000 when I was 17 to go to college. Oh, yeah. From where? From New York, upstate New York. You're upstate New York guy. Yeah, like an hour north, Orange County, New York. That's a lie. There's no Orange County. There is New York. Orange County Choppers, man. That's where they're from. I don't even know what they are. They they make motorcycles. I don't fucking know. Oh, they're a motorcycle. That's the big business. They had a show. American made motorcycles. Yeah. There was a show on the Discovery Channel called American Chopper. What, a, those the family? Yeah. Oh, with the the dude with the big mustache? Yeah, and their company is called the Orange County Choppers, and that's where I'm from. I'm from right around there. They're up there? Yeah. I like those guys. Yeah, they're funny. Yeah. Yeah. There's always funny, a problem between, yeah, between the father and son, <laughs> and there's the one simpler son. Yeah, who just like made stuff. What's the um? What's the big city? Oh, there isn't really. Newburgh? Newburgh. Do you know Newburgh? No. Newburgh and Middletown. You know, it's really close to New Paltz. Yeah. And I would go to a lot of shows, a lot of punk shows in Poughkeepsie. That Were you a musician? No, just a fan. Just a punk? Just a punk kid. Punk kid? Yeah. How old are you? I'm 31. Yeah? Yeah. Well, what kind of fucking life experience do you have? <laughs> I fucking knew it, man. I knew you were going to ask me that. I knew I was going to come on your show, and you'd be like, who the fuck are you? Uh-huh. Why are you even here? Yeah. I knew so it. So explain yourself. <laughs> well, you tell me. You fucking asked me to come. <laughs> oh, boy. Any tension right out of the gate? No, I think you were pitched to me by uh, my uh, former assistant, Sam. And I'm like, yeah, that guy's funny. Let's let's figure out what he's about. I um because you're like one of the funnier guys that's on the scene now. One of the funny young comedians here in Los Angeles. But I don't have much experience with you personally. Sure, yeah, yeah. But uh, but upstate New York, that sounds interesting. So what were you doing? Like what what kind of family you come from? Uh, my dad. You know, it, actually, it's funny. I'm already backtracking. I yeah. didn't. I'm not even really from upstate New York. Yeah. My dad was in the Navy my whole life. Really? Yeah. So we moved. I was born in Hawaii. Then we moved every three years until he retired. Then we moved to uh, Orange County, New York, and my dad taught ROTC at a high school, and I was just there for eighth grade in high school. Oh, my God. So how, how what, what was his highest rank in the Navy? Uh, it, uh, he got to commander. Is that, what's that equivalent to in the regular? <laughs> <laughs> it's right below captain. So I think it's like Sergeant? Uh, two below admiral which is the same as general mm-hmm. in the army right yeah so it would have been he would have been captain and then admiral and then two-star admiral so you grew up on bases no and uh it's actually like kind of uh you know they had the right thought but i think that it was in retrospect bad for me they mm. i wasn't raised on bases everywhere that we moved they I would live, we would live off base and I would go to a regular public school because mm-hmm. they wanted me to have a regular upbringing. Mm-hmm. But looking back, um, I just I talked think that, to somebody else who had that same experience. Really? Wanda Sykes. Mm-hmm. No way. Her dad was a big shot and they never lived on bases and they, you know, for similar reasons. So why was it a mistake? Well, like, I'm glad that I went to public schools and stuff so I know what it's like, but I. It was probably probably would have been a little more beneficial to be on bases with other kids who moved around a lot, so I would have people to talk to that I could relate to about my life. Yeah. Instead of like, I would just show up in a town and they'd be like, "Who the fuck are you? Who's the new kid?" <laughs> yeah, I'm also the new kid. Yeah, and I'm like afraid, you know, yeah. everywhere I go. So you're so, isolated. So yeah. how did so how how'd you end up making friends? Not, no, nope. Sad. <laughs> Didn't really. Really? And, and I, Do you have siblings? No. You're an only child. Yeah. 
Oh, my God. Yeah, man. It's a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure. I always think that. I don't know why. I've asked every only child I've ever I've ever talked to, like, didn't it seem like a lot of pressure to not die? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you've gotten this from only children, too. I, A lot of only children I talk to have a real, like, a distant relationship with their parents. Really? Yeah. And it's like a weird phenomenon that none of us understand. I certainly don't. Well, what but, do you um, think it could be? I think, like... Well, your dad's in the military. There's that. Yeah. My dad's a real dad, too. He's a real... How's the car? Here's uh, your mother, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I think the last time, not the last time I was home, but two times ago, I was there for the longest I'd been there for like a week. And normally I'm only there for a day or two. And uh, on the fourth or fifth day, I was eating dinner with them. And my mom was like, so David, how? She started asking me a question. Yeah. And my dad reached his hand over and like touched her arm and was like, Bretta. And she goes, oh, oh, oh. And I was like, what? What was that? Yeah. And she goes, she's like, oh, well, I mean, he's stop. He doesn't, I don't want to smother you. And I was like, what? What yeah. do you mean? And she's like, I, I don't want to pry into your life. I can be too motherly, you know? And I was like, you don't even call me on my birthday. Wow. Uh, which is true. And uh, so I, it's lucky you stayed the week. Right? Yeah, because it got to a boiling point. Yeah. So you had this weird moment? Yeah, it was a weird moment in which I was like, you know, I tell you every year to call me more. I call you, and they don't call me back. And it was like the first. I always thought and you're like, their only child. It's my, my only child. Yeah, huh. I have a joke about this too. My yeah. mother uh, had a series of miscarriages before I was mm-hmm. born too. So I'm also like the one that made it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 uh, interesting to me. It boggles yeah. my mind. Well, what came of that moment? I was just like, no, smother me, please. Yeah. Yeah. Call me more. I would mm-hmm. love to hear from you. Yeah. I don't talk to you enough. Yeah. Uh, we have an odd distance and I don't and they're like oh okay fine and then it just continued as such the distance yeah I don't know what to make of that me neither and I I, I have that joke about it so every now and then I'll, I'll do that joke on stage and someone will come up to me after the show and be like uh, yeah I'm an only child and I never talk to my parents and it bothers me to death and thank you for talking about that because I feel it makes me feel awful. <laughs> yeah. But 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 did that person tell you it was on their choice? Like they just don't call that person, or you don't you didn't get any more backstory? Uh, no, I mean I talked to someone in St. Louis actually uh, at length. Maybe it was Kansas City. They were like, "Yeah, no, I I'm an only child, and I was with them every single day of my life until I was 18, and I moved out, and they never call, and I call them, and they don't call me back." And uh, I feel the distance, and so maybe I don't call them as much as I would, but they literally never call, and I I see them once every two years. Oh my and god, it's weird! Yeah. So it's a it's a real phenomenon. Yeah, and you haven't been able to figure it out. I mean, I certainly contribute. You know, I don't want to sit here and say my parents are like awful parents or something. No, I, I know, yeah. but it's like I mean, obviously, as we get older, we their their distance happens, but this seems to be like a real phenomenon that only children feel a weird detachment. I wonder what the hell that is. I can't even fucking work the math on it. I think, yeah, the the first real insight I had into it was when my mother said she didn't want to smother me. Yeah. Because then that makes me think maybe at every, and she has said a few things since just in passing, like, well, I'm, I'm always wondering about you. And mm-hmm. so I think maybe my mom is so neurotic and so like just so turned so inward yeah, her own anxiety that she she's afraid of uh, 
calling me too much. And she, so she overcompensates for her worry of calling me too much by calling me not at all. Well, it seems like if you're an only child, there is the concern that, you know, you're going to be isolated. It's going to be hard for you to make friends or something. Yes. And they, you know, and they know that most of your life, they've been your primary, you know, you don't have a sibling. So they've kind of worn the shoes of that too. Sure. So I, I think there's a concern that there's a natural concern that you're going to be too attached. Sure. As an only child, maybe. Sure, there's that. And then you, I think you combine that with the fact, like what you just said, is yeah. you have to make your own way socially. You yeah. don't have other age mates in your family teaching you how to do things. Right. So in school, you're also, you know, a fish out of water. Freak. Yeah, totally. You're like a... And then you combine... If you're at all a thoughtful person, you're like yelling at yourself that you're a loser all day. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And so, I don't right, know. Right, because you can't, you're detached from everybody. Exactly. I don't know what the stigma, why is there a stigma to only child to other kids? Because I feel it, but I wonder what it is. You know, I I didn't know it until I became a comedian, and comedians are very vocal about how they hate only children. They are? <laughs> yeah, like the comics I know. And I've never heard a joke like that. Really? Huh. Like I don't know. I haven't heard this it on new stage. generation <laughs> beating up on the only children, not respecting the, the like only what? children. Well, not on stage, but I have had I've had a bunch of comics in particular tell me you're not like the other only children. I'll say I'm an only child on stage, and they come up to me after my set and be like, "Wow, I never would have guessed. Only children are assholes." Really? And I think it's because like you people talk to me about they think only you're children, spoiled. Like, yeah, self obsessed. Everything's about you. Uh-huh. Everyone has to listen to that's, you. That's comedians. I agree. Yeah, yeah. How are they able to decipher <laughs> those symptoms from just their own bullshit? Yeah. I guess that is true. That's the stigma. It's like you're precious. You know, you're treated like he's our only one. Right. Right. You get all the attention at Christmas. Yeah. The birthday is all about you. <laughs> yeah. And no friends. Just you and your parents. Exactly. It is weird to think about. Also, moving, mm-hmm. it, like, every three years, I would just be like, all right, well, it's just mom and dad and me again. Let's see what happens. No brother to bounce off of or beat the shit out of. No. Wow. Yeah. So, wait, so you lived in Hawaii? Very briefly, for three months. Now, is it what kind of, what's uh, the social background? Ross, is that Jewish? No, that's not Jewish. The it's non-Jewish uh, Ross. Non-Jewish Ross. Uh-huh. I uh, <laughs> uh, Scottish. It's a Scottish clan and county in Scotland. It's like a clan of cowards. Hmm? Oh, you uh, looked it up. I looked. Oh, yeah. No, I really, I really, I don't know enough about my heritage. I'm, I'm really interested in it. I want to know. Probably because the name dies with me. You know. <laughs> well, there's uh, other Rosses. No, don't you have cousins? I do have cousins, but they're all uh, mostly from uh oh, mother's no. side my dad has two sisters and two brothers uh-huh. uh and the cousins that are my age are from his sisters so. did you ever ask him why they only had one kid i i know because of the miscarriages i didn't want to have oh, that conversation right. that's, true. that's true they obviously tried <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i actually think that I, i'm pretty sure that i was a mistake because i think the miscarriages were like years before me and they were like we're done and my parents when I look in their medicine cabinet in their house, like you do, uh, yeah. they have condoms. Yeah. Uh, Did you grow up Catholic? Oh, uh, no. No? I mean- Just military? Military. <laughs> and my parents still say grace and stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't ever have to go to church. Did you know your grandparents and everything? Mm-hmm. You're, and you were the, like, uh, so your dad, Scottish background. My- Dad was raised Catholic and my mother was raised Lutheran and I was actually baptized in both of those faiths 
and neither grandmother was told about the other one just to appease both grandmothers. So the whole thing was just to do to appease the grandparents. Yeah, totally. But what's the Scottish city of cowards? That sounds interesting. Well, like, have you ever seen Braveheart? Mm-hmm. There's a line in Braveheart where they say something like, <laughs> I can't believe that's what I'm referencing. One of the characters is like, ah, we're, we'll run, hide, the Highland way. And I looked it up, and that's an actual trope. Like, the the history of Highland Scots is they ran up into the hills when they got attacked, and that's why they're still alive, and the Ross is a Highland clan. Wow. Yeah. You come from a, a tradition of cowards. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. interesting. It is, and it makes sense to me. Have you been to Scotland? I have when I was a kid. Uh, your, your folks went there? My fo- We lived in Italy from when I was three till when I was six. You remember that? That must have been nice. I remember it briefly. No, it wasn't really nice. No? Well, I mean, yeah, it was tough. It was... Uh, because you didn't speak the language? I spoke the language a tiny bit, yeah. but I was raised in an English... Like, we lived in an English-speaking part of Italy. Like, So my dad worked on a U.S. Navy base that was attached to a NATO base, and he worked with NASA. Like, we hung out with a lot of astronauts. Really? Uh, yeah. And I... Like it, famous astronauts? Kathy Sullivan was uh-huh. one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, she was a really good friend of my dad's. And, She's a uh, shuttle astronaut? She was the first woman to spacewalk. Free-floating? Free-floating, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think a shuttle. I think she was a do, shuttle astronaut. What do, you, what do you talk about with astronauts? So space, right? Yeah, right, yeah. So That's cool, gotta be crazy. heavy, man. Yeah. How fast did you go in the <laughs> rocket? So, like, is that ice cream real? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you in eat In the that? bag? It's not real ice cream. <laughs> Come on, man. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember her? Uh, I do. She was really nice. But I was really young. Yeah. And I do remember um, my. I was allowed into my the building my dad worked in, but my mother wasn't. And You were no threat. That kid's no th- not going to remember anything. I couldn't read. That's yeah. why. And when oh, really? I learned to read, I wasn't allowed in there. What, what, what building was that? The uh, NATO, NASA? I don't know. Naval Matrix, right? Yeah, it's a little freaky. My dad, I haven't asked him, but he also hasn't told me what he did there. So I like to assume that it was aliens. You know, ask your dad about that. Like, you know, why can't you tell me? No, I never think of it. Well, how were you raised? I'm was too busy just... wondering if he's mad at me. Really? That's <laughs> yeah. your life. What did I do wrong now? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Why is he mad at me? Well, what was the hope, man? What were you studying when you were like? What was your interest when you were in high school and shit? Uh, when I was in high school, I other was... than punk rock. Yeah, well, I went to punk shows and I did theater. That's what I did. That was my life in high school. Really? Mm-hmm. So, did your dad ever voice some concern? <laughs> yeah, they were pretty cool. They, uh, they were, uh, they were into that I was an actor, and they, I was, I did really well in school. Yeah. So I, I also would, you know, say like maybe I'll go to engineering school. And then my dad had a recruiter come to the house once to oh, see really? if I would join the navy oh how was but, that conversation i mean it was i was like dude he I'm had him come gonna. he had him come to the house yeah and i was like i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna join you're not gonna navy. get me <laughs> yeah this ain't gonna go and he was like well it, think about it and i was like all right and he handed me some pamphlets and i was like i'll think about it you never thought of i that. didn't think about it a single time yeah did you go uh so did you never had that confrontation with your father about what you want to do he was that detached uh did he wear his uniform at dinner <laughs> no, no, but high school was really rough. It was like, uh, it wasn't, my my relationship with my dad is, is, I love my dad, but it is a little contentious some of the time because he's irritable. And I don't think either of us really completely got over high school because it was, 
I was very like emotional in high school and he was not happy. So there was a lot of screaming and pots banging and unfavorable situations in my house. Really? Oh, when yeah. you say emotional, what does that mean? I cried a lot, you yeah. know, screaming and crying. What about what? Oh no, like um I guess it's probably less than I remember it, but in my memory constantly I, constantly and what the what I don't fit in. I don't fit in. Yeah. Why yeah. do you guys bring me here? Yeah, it was mostly inward, mostly wondering why I felt so horrible, why like uh no one liked me and uh it was why I went to punk shows. I uh I hated my high school. I felt like I felt like I didn't fit in at all. And actually there's this album by this band The Bouncing Souls called Maniacal Laughter. And it's one of the reasons I do my podcast cuz I heard the album and the album is like a punk album. It's fun. It's fun and great, but all the guy sings about is how much he hates himself and like being nervous around girls and then also like like smashing toilets and stuff. And so like it was this revelation for me where I was like, "Oh my god, you can like be sad and not be a jockey douche and like not want to like fuck all the girls and stuff, but then also like have friends and have fun. This is amazing. It was like can I, I, you can have other angry, isolated, yes. slightly, slightly hypersensitive friends, <laughs> exactly, who don't know what to do with their feelings. Yeah, totally. And you can be accepted. This isn't the entire world. The entire world isn't these like these jocks and these tough guys and these these girls who make fun of you and like you know that was your experience. Yeah, that's how I felt. If I look back, it wasn't everybody, but that's that. It, I was. I felt very starkly that that was the world. And you were at the bullied. Time. I was bullied. Yeah. For what? I don't know. <laughs> you know, just uh, being a wuss. Being a wuss. That's totally <laughs> what it was. It was for being a wuss. <laughs> and in fairness, I was a wuss, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you shouldn't have to pay for being a wuss. Uh, I, I agree. I totally agree. Takes a, it takes a while to become a proud wuss. Yeah, it sure does. And I am a proud wuss. Wuss proud. I'm a uh, wuss, wuss pride. pride dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> wuss devil horns, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and I proudly admit that I cried a lot back then and that I cry a lot now. I don't not care. Not at school, though. Hell no, not at school. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. <laughs> Just like now, I don't cry at school. I don't cry in front of my friends now. I cry yeah. in my car after oh. the show. Oh. <laughs> Do you cry after shows? Every now and then. Every now and wow. then I have a show that really hits me. So like how how fucked up did it get with your dad? Because he's like a military guy and you're this overly emotional <laughs> my uh, wuss, we've determined. But he's also a wuss, is the thing. Oh, my latent wuss. He's a latent wuss. He is a wuss that is the product of a non-wuss generation. Mm -hmm. I very much understand my father now, I feel like. And I hope he listens to this because I... He is like a angry, he was angry when I was in high school. At what? And at his situation, uh, he, he, uh, I don't exactly know. He was angry that his son was so goddamn emotional, I think. Yeah. He was, I think, angry. At his rank? He retired and went to teach at a uh, high school where he's going to hate that I'm talking about this, by the way. I'm yeah. gonna, he, he will probably listen to this, and I will get some shit. <laughs> he might not listen to it. He also might not listen to it. Who knows? Yeah, um, he's only going to listen to it if you tell him about it. <laughs> that's true. So <laughs> I'll just not do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's the way to go. Um, well, I don't think he, you're being disrespectful. I think no. you're just trying to find a common ground. I Yeah, and I, I think I have, too. Like I uh, Did you guys ever come to blows? 
No, it got weird a couple times for sure. Like what? Ninth, tenth, eleventh. I tried to run away when I was fifteen. You and, did, and yeah, and for they, how long did you get away? Two hours, and uh, <laughs> they were on it, man. They called all my friends. They got me. What'd you do? Uh, d- tell me. W- walk w- me through the day. Okay, this will tell you how emotional I was in high school because okay. it was a non issue it was my mother saying something dramatic and then me reacting dramatically to that and i was just i just wanted a fight if i'm being honest i just wanted to i just i just wanted to be someone you know what i want i just wanted to be a white kid who had more problems than he actually had you know what i mean but also like <laughs> if you actually do have detached parents for whatever reason mine mm-hmm. were a little selfish sometimes the only way to get their attention is to engage them in you know anger like sometimes yeah. when they get mad at you, they, you it's part of you is like, no, you do care. Actually, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, also makes for great stories, you know? Well, you're uh, not thinking that at the moment. I don't know. Maybe I was. I don't really. Rem- you're right. Well, what I happened? Was. So I, yeah, it was like, maybe I was 16. It was building up. Like I was. Were you a druggie? I was not a druggie. I did not do drugs in high school. I went to shows. I didn't skip school. I was a good kid. I got straight A's, yeah. you know? I did what my parents told me, basically. Yeah. It was just like, okay, so my dad is someone who very much values respect. He's one of those, like, don't disrespect me, guys. Yeah. And to the extent that if a friend of mine was wearing a hat in my house, mm-hmm. he would, like, yell at them to take their hat off because it's disrespectful to wear a hat inside a house. Mm. And so that's, like, the level of intensity that mm-hmm. it was at. And uh, he would scream take your hat off in my house. It was very much, and my friends would be like, oh my God, I, I didn't even know. And I'd be like, ah, I'm sorry. It was really, this was a tense household, you know? <laughs> was he a boozer? No. Nothing. No. Just pure anger. Just very frustrated. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, and so I, um, I had a day, and I don't even remember, I don't even remember what happened, uh, but I was angry. And it was a weekend, uh, because I was hanging out with my friends all day and we did the thing. I think we did all the things you do in a town where there's nothing to do. You know, we like went to the arcade. Yeah. We walked around the mall. We went bowling. Mm-hmm. We played mini golf. We went to the pool hall. You wow, know what I mean? Big day. Yeah. Probably not all those things, but that's the list of things that we had available <laughs> to us. We were at a pool hall. I remember in Monroe, New York. And, uh, I, uh, I wasn't even smoking cigarettes yet at this point. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I was behind the times. And uh, no, you're a smart kid. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I uh, so I was outside. I called my mom to ask if I could stay out an hour or two later with my friends. It was like ten o'clock, and they were like, "She was like, no, come home." And I was like, "Mom, come on." I'm like sixteen. Yeah, come on. just let me stay. I'm out. calling. Yeah, I'm calling. Come on. I'm not Bye. drinking. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and she was like, no, come home. They were clearly mad at me. And uh, I was like, give me a break. I said something like, God, what is this? Just no, let me. No profanity. I'm not going to kill anybody. Yeah. I'm sure maybe I cursed. Uh-huh. Because then she gets pushed over the edge somehow. And she's like, David, if you don't come home in the next hour, don't come home at all. And I was like, well, fine. Fuck it. Yeah. I'm not coming home at all. Which, like, <laughs> That's you know, big... is two idiots being dramatic, you know? <laughs> and so I uh, I don't come home, and I go to one friend's house. My my parents start calling all my friends, and, uh, you know, 
where is he? Where is he? Where is he? They, they, I realize I'm at my friend Dan's house, Dan Kerrigan, who's yeah. now a stand up. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And I realize his mother's on the phone with my mother, and I like bolt out the door with my friend Bobby. You're on the run. I'm on the run. Yeah, yeah. man. And I go to Bobby's house, and then they find out I'm at Bobby's house. And, uh, Small town shit, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. They, yeah, they just they, like they were ahead of you, they were one step ahead of you. Um, and my dad just like races over to Bobby's house, and I'm basically trapped there because he lives at the end of East Shore Road, and there's nowhere to go after that. That's the big standoff. Yeah, totally. No choppers involved. And he's like walking up to the door, and I'm like, I'm just surrender, you know. Yeah. And uh, it didn't help that Bobby's mom hated me, uh-huh. hated me, because. She- Turned you in immediately. Yeah, she turned me in. And I mean, as you should, if you're a parent, quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, But she especially, I think she took some joy in it because for two reasons. One, Bobby and I got caught stealing a street sign for Woodcock Mountain Road by the cops like three weeks before this. That that guy gets stolen a lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was plastic at this point. It was a plastic street. It wasn't even bolted in. Um and then, like a week after that, my friend Lewis, being hilarious, was over at Bobby's house. Yeah. And Bobby was bitch. Um, Bobby's mom was bitching about how he got caught for the sign. And Lou was like, "Oh, that was all Dave's idea." Uh, <laughs> you're the you're the criminal. Totally. Um, so what happened? Did your dad beat you up? No, but he did. Uh, on the drive home, I told him to fuck himself, which you just don't do to your dad, and you don't do to your military dad. Mm-hmm. Or really anybody, but he, and it's a tense situation, and he he slams the brakes, pulls the car over, and he's like, you want to fight me? And he gets out of the car, tries to get me to get out of the car and fight him. And he's like <laughs> smacking his hand on the door, and I'm like crying, just crying my eyes out, you know? And I'm like, why? I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight yeah. you. And he gets back in the car and takes me home in silence. And uh Yeah. And, uh, well, it's interesting that he didn't discipline you physically, but he was he was looking for a fight after a certain like he's he's yeah. not going to throw the first punch. I don't think he would have fought me. Like I think that it would have been like us looking at each other and him being like, "Is this what you wanted?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, fucking fuck you or yeah. whatever. I don't know. Did he um, cuss? No. Yeah. But again, in that moment, actually, I'm a hundred percent sure he would never have hit me, for sure. Yeah. And I like I wouldn't even want to dream of like people thinking that about my dad because yeah. he's my dad is a really great guy. Yeah. He's like a very intensely good moralistic person, right? Who has a temper yeah. and gets frustrated very easily, right? <laughs> In that moment, it's like yeah, that was real rough for me to deal with for a long time. That happening, yeah. Um, I wonder if this crying thing is somehow uh, attributed to the only child business, maybe. Why? You think I... Did you not cry much when you were a kid? Well, not... Like, I don't, like, remember it being part of it. I mean, I'll cry now. Like, I I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm that adverse to crying, but, like, I like I wouldn't cry after a show. Like, it wasn't part of my my rotation. Sure. Uh, oh, know, really? Yeah, as a as a, a high school kid. You know, I, I'd only cry if I was, you know, pushed, you know, to the point of it by uh, by my, my dad or something. But, like, it was not something I did regularly. Yeah, well, I don't mean to give the impression that it was so regular. Get back out now, crybaby. <laughs> You're just a crybaby you wuss. <laughs> <laughs> no turning that boat around. That's true. The whole world knows now. The whole comedy scene is going to be like, oh, look at this little bitch yeah. in this comedy show. Hey. That's the thing. I was 
backtracking to explain myself because of that worry. I'm still, even though I'm confident that it's okay, I like that I have a good cry sometimes. Yeah. I still am worried that people are going to bully me. I still have that thing in my head. I'm 31. What's well, weird? What do you mean? It's like you're, you're, men have a weird time with that. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not specific to you. It's like you know they're because you know, those same guys that um, that made us cry to begin with. They seem to define the uh, the cultural moment. Uh, the cultural that, mode. Isn't that interesting? Because there are. I've been thinking about this ever since i became aware of this horrific dynamic in the world i've cried on this show have you yeah i mean not you know sobbing but you know i let my emotions happen like uh you know like i was in therapy today and i, I almost cried but i stifled it why do i got why am i stifling my crying in front of my therapist that's ridiculous yeah that's wh- the one place you should cry absolutely it's the place you go to cry i don't know how i do cried a couple these- times in my last relationship yeah yeah and i'll cry during the tv show i'm very sensitive like in i'll cry when i'm talking to people sometimes i won't they won't see it but I, i'll know you'll, i'll you'll feel it up. well i feel it i'll feel it in my in my soul and i was watching tv last night and i actually uh got choked up at weird moments too they you know not the moments that you would think they would be uh, you know that's the thing that's been happening to me i i have like like probably three four good like actual event emotional cries a year but i cry from watching tv and yeah, commercials all yeah, the time. yeah yeah me too and i don't mind that you know I, I i've always been that way but crying properly in in you know just like letting weeping. yourself well, just letting yourself do it you know is uh is the tricky thing mm-hmm. like i mean you can get teared up and then like no, i'm not gonna no yeah. yeah but to actually like you know un you know just open the dam you know uh i, I don't do that too often it's tough and actually my dad is a big reason why I'm like this about crying, why I do it a lot and why I'm okay with it. Because my mother says, at least, that I, when I was very young, I started crying. I don't know how old. Mm-hmm. Old enough to not be a baby. And uh, I was crying about something, and my mom was like, don't cry. And my dad stopped her and was like, no, let him cry. My father never let me cry. So that'll tell you what his upbringing was like, and that's one of those weird kind of keys in, yeah, uh, like one of those weird windows into when you hear someone like that, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. There's another moment with my dad that was really interesting, um, where I, because like my, I've ever since I was self-aware, I've known that my trip, like my baseline of self-loathing, is that I think no one likes me for sure. Mm-hmm. I obsess over it all day. I can find evidence in any conversation. To this day. To this day. I'm way better about it now. Yeah. Uh, I, especially with therapy, I've like learned the patterns of it and I can get out of it mm-hmm. uh, like more easily. But I've known that about myself for a while. And when I was like 21 or 22, I was staying at my grandmother's house for Christmas and my mom and dad were there. It was Christmas dinner. Everyone had left except myself and my parents. And my grandmother... Uh, loved to drink and was hilarious when she was drunk. She's my dad's mom. Dad's mom. We called her nanny. She was great. And uh, so my dad goes out to buy my mom cigarettes or something. And my drunk, my vodka drunk grandma says to my mother, what is Scotty's deal? He didn't call his sisters today. He didn't call his brothers. He doesn't call anybody. He doesn't call anyone. He doesn't let people know that he loves them. What is wrong with him? 
And uh, my mom says, not thinking I was in the room, well, Abby, you know, Scotty has always sort of felt like no one likes him. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) no way, dude. (laughs) Um, And uh, my grandmother being adorable, my dad gets home and, uh, and she walks right up to him, drunk as a skunk, and says, Scotty, everyone likes you. <laughs> and he was like, well, what? And he just rattled, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's also like my grandfather, um, apparently, he was always very nice and calm and quiet to me, but apparently uh, hit my grandmother. And my father was at odds with him for a while. And uh, Like regularly or once? Regularly, apparently. And uh, God damn it. It's so insane to be able to track the psychological reactions that define families. Absolutely. Because whatever the hell is going on there, whether she was, you know, loaded or what, that, you know, when you have an abusive relationship, a physically abusive relationship and you grow up in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, there then you're just going to like this in my experience as a non-professional person i'm not a therapist or anything but when you grow up in that kind of chaos you know you're there's no way you're not going to come out a control freak or a fucking abuser sure there's only two ways to go it sounds like your dad went the control freak route. absolutely well and it's a major reason why i respect my father so much it's Mm -hmm. like he didn't talk to my grandfather for a long time and to come out of that as someone who's like no let him cry as irritable and like fighting you on the street as you could get, it's like impressive. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, so I bet you the military was a way for him to sort of you know have some like control and discipline in his life. Yeah. Also, I think he's probably a little bit of a masochist because he's like insanely liberal in the military. You know? Yeah. I can't imagine how that was. Uh, like I like that raises the desire to control your life to a new level, you know. Well, I would say sort of like you know shamelessly and 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 supportingly uh, letting your son cry is a that that in and of itself is a <laughs> an amazingly progressive idea for a military man. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he fucked with me too when I was young. Yeah, like he, I, I did something wrong when I was like sixteen or seventeen, and he was like, "Get down and give me 20. And I was like, what? And he's like, do it. And I was like, ah. And I did it. And he was like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you don't have to. He didn't even fall through with it? <laughs> yeah. He yeah, was just trying that out? Yeah. He's yeah. going to try to be the great Santini for, I think he for was one just, action? Well, that's the other thing. My dad's like a, he's like a sass mouth, you know, when, yeah. he, when he's not you know, screaming yeah. irritable. That's but it wasn't competitive. Uh, no. That's good. Yeah. Because that's a dynamic between fathers and sons that stinks. It's not competitive. Yeah, it's more of like um, our dynamic that was bad was that he, well, like me, like I said, in any conversation, I can find any evidence that the person doesn't like me. Really? Any, any man. Like, uh, what did uh, it happen here? Is it happening now? No, actually, this is great. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have had that with you before. Well, uh, everybody has that with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Sometimes I know why, but yeah. Yeah, it's, there's very few people I don't like, but initially I'm I'm generally annoyed or threatened. So, <laughs> so my reaction to that is going to appear like I don't like somebody. Sure. Well, I can tell you about when we first met, and it was it was like that. We don't. You have had to. a beard, right? I did have a beard. Yeah. What happened? Um, so, and this is why you remember at the beginning of this podcast, which is what this recording. I was like, you had me on, and you were like, wow, contentious right from the beginning because of this first interaction with you. I've always been a little combative with you. Uh, uh-huh. I uh, it was holy fuck. Yeah, 
And um, it was the first time you'd done it, and it was like the fifth this or sixth one. the show you hosted at the movie theater. Yes. And yeah. it was, it got really good. Yeah. But at, at its inception, it was a stand-up show run by me, who'd been doing stand-up for like six months. Right. In a, in a theater that seats 250. Yeah. Uh, cavernous, huge ceilings. Terrible idea to run a show there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's always hard to do comedy in movie theaters. Absolutely. And uh, I was a huge fan of yours, oh, and you said yes, and, yeah. and I was really I was really stoked. Yeah. But then it also happened to be like the literally the first show we had because since I was young and stand up, I hadn't burned all my bridges with my friendships yet. So I had like a shitload of my friends from jobs and school come to the first four or five shows. Yeah. So. Good crowd right out of the gate. Your show was the first show I had with a shitty crowd. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, you got to be kidding me, man. Uh, and it was raining, too. Uh. And uh, and I'll never forget it, too. Yeah, I like uh, you showed up, and you were like, hey, are you Dave? And I was like, yeah, uh, what's up? Thanks for doing the show. And you were like, how is it looking in there? And I was like, eh, it's kind of light. And you were like, I fucking knew it, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> fucking, you got to be kidding me, man. Uh, now Marin's going to lose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, and then I uh, I went inside, people weren't showing up, and I came out, and I came up to you. Comics I, weren't showing up? Comics weren't showing up, and uh, no, comics were, the comics who were on the show were yeah. there, but audience was not coming. Um, I had like lost all my goodwill with my friends in the rain, and we were just fucked. There yeah. were like 10 people in a 200 seat theater, you know? Um, was it that small? It was maybe a little more. Just that lower tier, maybe. Yeah, in the front. Yeah. Um, and uh, I came out to tell you something. I was like, hey, uh, so I just wanted to tell you. And you were like, I fucking knew it. And I was like, what? You were with your girlfriend at the time. And you were like, I was telling her on the way over here uh, that uh, at some point the producer's going to come up to me. And he's going to be like, oh, normally we have more people here. And uh, for some reason this time we don't have as many. And I fucking knew you were going to tell me that. And I literally said, no, I was just going to tell you that we're going to start around 930 <laughs> instead of 9. And you were like, oh, all right. Fine. Really? That's what I said all right to? Yeah. I and, must uh, have been mad about something else. I was really, yeah, I really, I was like, man, fuck. <laughs> I get. I think I get in the weird zone where like, you get asked to do so many shows, mm -hmm. so many comic produced shows, which is fine, but at some point you realize like, well, it's good for them to have me on. And, like, and I don't know, like I know a lot of people like my comedy and stuff, but it's also good promotion. I know how that shit works. Sure, yeah. Um but like a lot of times, like, and I don't mind performing for small crowds, but it get it, it, like at certain points I, I get tired. Like, <laughs> the, like I'm I'm a little more picky about which small shows I do, just because you know, like if I know it's going to be what it's going to be, it's fine. But I think that was the first time, and I think what had happened was everyone had told me what a great show it was. Yeah, and and I think that's what that sounds like. And I was probably up a tr up the wall with her. Because I always was, right? But uh, but I, I I do think it was probably sort of like a lot of people are like, no, it's great, it's great, it's great. Because it doesn't add up that I would go, I knew it, unless somebody had told me, right, that was a good show, right? Like they were, I knew they were fucking with me. Some, yeah, yeah, like you know, yeah, right, right, right. Like it's like I okay, I'm gonna go do this show at the right. movie theater. Like it was to me, it was already like, how good could it be? Right, it, you know. Right, it's just a show. I never heard of it's this guy. A, it's at yeah, and it's at a movie theater. You know, I've been thinking about because I was coming over here to do this show. I was thinking about it, and like, I think that there are. You probably you didn't remember that interaction we had at all, right? I'd imagine. Uh, not not completely. No. 
And I would imagine, but I, like, I don't remember last week. Sure. Well, there's that too. Yeah. I got a terrible memory, but uh, but I think that there's like when a comedian is a really young comic, yeah, and hasn't like found themselves as a as like a social presence in the comedy scene, yeah. I think that there's a lot of weirdness that happens, and like I was pretty young, and I'll bet you that I was pretty weird as a young comic. Like I remember. Todd Glass yelling at me on the phone once when I was really young because I was so nervous around him. I looked up to him so much. And uh, I, but, and so I think I was... There are all these times that I don't remember of me being weird to big comics that I looked up to. But then also, but then there are all these instances that I have with these big comedians that they don't remember because they didn't think anything of me at the time. Well I, I mean? well, I remember re- registering that you were funny at some point. Well, that's good. Which is not always easy for me to do. Sure. Um, you know, because I just can't, like, it's hard to get through to me sometimes because a lot of times young comics, they're just trying too hard or they're just not quite doing themselves yet. They're just doing something. They, right. it's, it's like... It's something that's familiar. It's not to me. It's not like I know who that guy is. Yeah. These well, there's the familiar cadence of a fellow telling jokes he wrote. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. But uh, but I also think with us, you, you know, my generation, it's like this whole easy access, <laughs> a thousand shows, guys have been doing it six months, calling themselves comedians. <laughs> you know, it was it's a it, it's it was sort of a big transition to make. Okay. And that you know, at some point, the comedy scene that you grew up in was really built on on comic run shows. Yeah. The the entire paradigm is different. Oh, interesting. So, so like, you know, when we came up, we all know each other, you know, there's there's different levels of clickiness, but you know, we were all built around this old comedy club model. Yeah. So like all you guys, there's this huge community of comedians that have been doing it two weeks that have their own rooms, <laughs> right. that have their, you know, and then at some point you know, you you got tired. I'm talking about your generation of just rotating, uh, you know, a bunch of people who are trying to develop, you know, through your rooms. And at some point, somebody started like, well, why don't we just call those big guys? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then everyone realized how easy it was. And then you're like, that guy, he didn't even he didn't even question anything. He just <laughs> said, sure, he'll come down. So they got to be pretty easy to get. They're just sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> And it turns that out that was a cool realization that I had. Right. Yeah. yeah it turns out it's generally true. Like, if yeah. we're not working a, a night, you know, we, we always feel half guilty because most of us started out trying to do comedy every night. Yeah. At least one set. Uh, so, like, you know, we get older and it's sort of like it doesn't, it's not as imperative as it used to be, or we don't really know where to go, or we don't, we, or we don't. So we get the call and it plays on our guilt. We're like, I probably should just go do a set. Right. And, <laughs> And then, then all of a sudden, you've got all the, the the biggest comics around. You know, you guys have access. Yeah, and it's it's easy to get hold of us. And I I think that one of the things that registers with us is that if there's ever a moment where someone like Todd Glass or myself gets mad, it's like it's I think we have a deep need to be like you know you we and you aren't the same. Yeah, <laughs> really. You know, like. <laughs> You, know, uh, you, you do know that we're at a different level you know, here. I'm yeah, and let me tell you that we know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's an ever-present thought. I mean, hence the combativeness. You know, it's like... Uh, but I did the same thing. I, You know, you, everybody has their... You, you know, you, you got to keep your cool. You yeah. know what I mean? You don't want to be too gracious or too, like, you know, like appreciative or, or even if it's that. But then I also think that, you know, bottom line is we're all comics, but I think that you're going to get a... You know, some of us are a little prickly at times. Sure. So where did you start? I started here. I mean, the first time I ever did stand up 
was in Fresno, California. How do you know what Fresno is? It's like this weird punchline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And what is, what is Fresno? It's like the Alabama of California. It is? Uh, well, as far as making jokes about it exactly? locations. It is right in the middle of California. It's three hours north of LA. Is it inland? It's inland. It's like in the middle from the east, the west, the north, and is the it south. Cowboy land? Yeah. Right. Uh, farms. Right. Uh, desert. 118 degrees summers. Yeah. Uh, and also frat boys and gangs. It is tough. Yeah. Um, I lived there. I was a radio DJ there for two years after college. And professional. Yes. That I was mean, your thing. That was what I was going for it, man. Music? Yeah. I was a DJ at 103.7 KRZR, The Wild Hair in Fresno, California. Uh, but H A R E. What'd you go to college okay. for? Uh, I have a degree in psychology. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Was that was that a, a were you engaged in that or was that just a sort of like ah uh, psychology? It was that. It was uh my girlfriend's doing this. Right. That's okay. literally what it was. And I was interested in it by the end. I'm glad I did it. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I had a so I had a college. How does it serve you? Um. Well, for one, it uh makes me more self obsessive. Mm-hmm. So that sucks. So you have um, a lot of a uh, long list of reasons why you think people don't like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even more. <laughs> yeah, it just been more maddening because a uh, a bachelor's in psychology is like going to psychology high school. Right. You don't. There's no focus. You relearn a lot of the same information, and you're memorizing dates and names right. and stuff. Uh, and you learn about what the diseases are, but not how to treat or learn about them. Right. You know? uh, yeah. It just like let me know about all of these phenomena that I could obsess over. But you were looking for a career in radio. Yeah, okay, so my senior year of college was weird. It went like this. I did, uh, I smoked a lot of heroin. Uh, that's, what? That's real. And uh, When did you get, you, you didn't do any drugs in high school? And then I started doing drugs in college. And uh, and then I did every drug. And then by the end, I was smoking heroin like the a couple tar? times a week. Yeah, tar. That was uh, around. Yeah, well, I had a friend that I think was shooting it up. Ugh. And he, I think, I don't know. So you're um, smoking off the foil with the straw? Yeah, yeah. Have you done that? Yeah. Uh, he like doesn't more, seem as bad that way. It doesn't seem as bad that way. <laughs> and it started. He like put it on a bowl of weed and right. was like, "You want to smoke some opium?" Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah." And then we did it three times, and he was like, "This is heroin." And yeah. I was like, "You know, just just like an after school special." <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, yeah, total, I'm already in. It's already yeah. great. It already hasn't ruined my life. So right. I'll do this three times a week for a year and a half. Well, uh, that's not, well uh, it's still not every day. It wasn't every day. I didn't get addicted or dope sick. I, I never went to rehab. I um, I was so scared of getting addicted that I never. So three times a week was manageable for you. Yeah, totally. I had a... I'm always smoking heroin three di- three times a week. <laughs> An adult's heroin At the addiction. same time every week. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. In the morning, in order to get through the day. <laughs> uh, and so I was like finishing up my year of school and uh, psychology, and then I had a radio show. And uh, then In college? In, yeah, at the college radio station at KSCR, which is KXSC now. And um, you were playing what? Uh, well, I was like, I would play punk music and reggae and some other weird shit that I liked, but really I would just, I would fuck around and I don't know, I would like freestyle rap sometimes and just like re- do dumb bits, like read. So by college, had you found a crew of people that you could hang out with? You know, yes, 
and no. Like, I don't hang out with a lot of the people I hung out with in college because... But I mean, as a kid who was isolated and, and always in a strange land and a crying wuss, by <laughs> the time you got to college... With it, usually yeah. that's a time where people can, like, there's a lot of people, you're like, all right, those are my people. You, did you have people? Actually, by my senior year of high school, I did. I had a crew at my senior year of high school that I, I was really close to, and that was where I started being funny, because mm-hmm. they were really funny. Right. To this day, funniest people I've ever met in my life. And we would just sit around and drink beer and talk shit about each it's other. It's amazing once drugs and alcohol come into it, how things loosen up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, you start being a little less afraid, yeah. crying a little less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a warm blanket, you know? Yeah, it is. sure it is. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And then I had a crew throughout college for sure. And um, and then college just ended. I didn't even know what happened. I was like, oh, crap, man. You're on heroin. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> It was just so embarrassing. Oh man, I I both hope and don't hope my parents listen to this. Uh, <laughs> They're not going to listen to it unless you tell them. They will find it. Um, Do they look for it? I don't know. I actually don't know. It'll be a while. You can think it through. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be a, some years. Well, you're but... not strung out, and you're still a good kid. You still barely cuss. I'm fine. <laughs> I also very... am. Don't I also don't do drugs. And anymore. you're very diplomatic, and you're pleasant, and you have good manners. I mean, they well, have a lot to be proud of. Well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, it's just because so you, you smoked heroin three times a week doesn't mean you were a drug addict. It was just three times a week consistently, yeah, but not true. addicted. That's true. I, that's true. Not addicted, just regularly. <laughs> <laughs> regularly freebasing heroin off of tinfoil in you're my house. You're not freebasing. <laughs> don't that, call it that. Isn't that what freebasing is? No. Okay, well, so... You're smoking heroin. You were smearing it on a piece of tinfoil and I was putting dots of black tar heroin onto piece ripped off of, pieces of I think it's called tinfoil. foiling or chasing the dragon. Chasing the dragon. Freebasing, I think, is actually... Uh, uh, it's breaking down coke to its purest form and then smoking it. It's, oh. it's, it's actually... I think freebasing is the, the word for the process of... Oh, okay. Of taking, you know, shitty coke... Cooking it down. And cooking it down. Okay. And then smoking the... the the pure coke. So that's why crack is called base, right? Is that, okay, because that's based coke. Okay, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Learning, I'm yeah. learning. Yeah. There you go. I can't believe I didn't know that. You, maybe you should start freebasing. I should. Now that you know you've what? been miscalling your heroin addiction, freebasing, <laughs> maybe sh- it's time you learned about freebase. I've been lying all these years, so I should just do the freebase, <laughs> right? So I'm not a liar, right? Exactly. Yeah. See what see where that takes you at this point in your life. This has been a really productive afternoon. Helpful, I think. <laughs> So when I was an idiot and I was thinking about going to grad school, I sent for heroin for heroin. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I wanted to get a an MH. Uh, uh, I um, sent out for my college transcripts. Yeah, I got them, and my the my GPA my my final GPA was a two point nine nine, which is unbelievable with the way that I acted in college, like that I even got that high. But it's so close to Your a 3 Your parents taught you well. Yeah. 3 is uh, the highest, right? No, 4 is the highest. Oh, yeah. So Not great, then. 3 is like uh, means that you did fine. You're like a right. good student, right. kind of. Uh, and I had 2.99. And then I looked at my GPA, and then I remembered, oh, right. My senior year of college, second semester senior year, commencement's coming up. It's two weeks from graduation. I dropped a class- to do heroin, I, I dropped it, and I dropped it so late that it wasn't like a withdrawal. It a zero averaged in on my GPA. Right. So had I not dropped this class, 
I would have gotten over a three zero, mm-hmm. and the class I dropped. See what hero? See where heroin took you? Yeah, it took you to two point nine. I know. God, I'm which such is a not loser. jail or death. <laughs> so you should. But I the, don't ever tell that heroin story ever. Yeah, it got bad, man. I lost like a percentage, <laughs> a tenth of a point. No, but the class I dropped was soccer. I dropped soccer class. Can't play heroin on soccer. Can't I mean, play soccer on heroin. Heroin and you can't play heroin than on soccer. <laughs> Either way, that works. I'm just saying, like, I mean, it was like ridiculous the way that I was conducting myself like yeah yeah but as far Fuck as my life as far as what could have happened i guess yeah you're right you know it's uh it's good it's 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 sort of um my rock bottom at 2.99 was not that bad you're absolutely right yeah it's like it's good for family listening your rock bottom is okay for families to listen absolutely to. i like that so you done you finished it now you just drink drink and smoke weed or what I smoke weed every now and then yeah yeah but nothing too out of control i was smoking it to sleep for yeah. A couple of years, yeah, uh, but I don't do that anymore either. So, so you start out DJing, yeah. After college, you like it. You thought like you want a career in radio, mm-hmm. and what happened? Uh, so I did like it, and I. It's great I, to be on these kind of mics. It is. It's great, oh, man. And being on the radio, I always loved the radio. I listen yeah. to the radio all the time. I loved it. Yeah. And uh, the thing is that radio nowadays, I know. You know, it's dying, and there's no reason to have a DJ in there because you go into work. At, I mean, I would go into work as a radio DJ, and the whole my whole shift would be programmed in. All the songs are in there. I don't pick anything. So Yeah, it's sad. It is sad. And there's a thing called voice tracking, which I'm sure you're familiar with. No. Nope. Oh, you're not. Okay, so voice tracking. I did only talk radio. Oh, okay. Um, you can... All those songs and commercial breaks and everything are programmed in, and so you can go in before your shift and, and do record, the wraparounds, do it all, record yeah. it in, and you're done. And if you do that, you get paid an hour's worth of pay for six hours of airtime. So now there are a lot of stations that are voice tracked almost completely, and they have an entirely part time staff that get, makes like ten bucks an hour. Yeah, and there's it's, it's um, not personality driven anymore, and it's and also like that world even then. The mark, how competitive that market is to to sort of hold listeners and to get on a station that oh yeah you know, it, I, it's 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 difficult. I got friends that are incredible, like hilarious radio DJs who are struggling. My friend Rick Rodham, who I met there, one of the funniest people I've ever met. And he's a radio DJ and he's in some tiny town in Texas. You know, just struggling, just struggling, and no, uh, oh, it's fucking hard. Yeah, it's so sad because like we found podcasts, thank God. Yeah, and you know now that's there, and yeah. you, you're going to do better than being on a small station that maybe you're pulling twenty five thousand people. Maybe your reach is just so much wider, and if you get on, even I, do you know how those XM guys do? Is that pretty big? No, no. There's a few big shows on XM. But you really just, you know, you're another guy in a studio in the hallway. Right. And like, uh, you know, the guy, a lot of the people on XM, I think, brought listeners to that, to XM. Yeah. Like they left jobs where they had built followings. I really don't know how, what the metrics are, but, you know, like Stern does well and some of the music stations as right. well and the sports like, do well. But in terms of like, do they make money? No, because they're, it's not, I don't think it's advertising driven and I don't think their contract salary, depending on who they are, is that big. So I don't know what determines it. Oh yeah, it's subscription based, right? Yeah. So like you go to Sirius in New York and it's just this big facility and there's just studios everywhere. Right. Everyone's doing their little show. Right. And like how do you 
I'm sure they know exactly, exactly how many people are listening to well, every show. I think Ron show. and Fez do well, and I think you know Stern does well. I think Stern's channel, some of Bubba them the do Love well. Bubba the Love Sponge probably does really well. I don't well. know what what how much he holds. I don't, yeah. I don't I don't know that Sirius necessarily was a successful venture all huh. all around. Because I think the idea that it would be in every car or that it would be appealing for people to have at home, I don't know if that panned out. Right. Well, because it's not in every car. No, and it's you have not, to certainly pay. not in every home. Yeah. So, um, so you do it for a couple of years and you get disenchanted? Absolutely. And it was weird how, because I, I, I was, you know, doing, I was the sidekick on the night show and I, I just like became obsessed and was in there all the time and I ended up having my own weekend shifts and doing stunts on the afternoon yeah. show and like second chair on the night show. Yeah. But I didn't have, I always wanted to play what I wanted. And then finally I like proposed a show and they gave it to me and I got this show like after I'd been there for a year and a half. <laughs> Literally, I opened it up to the listeners to suggest names and the name I landed on. This is, by the way, an active rock station. So we played like Pantera, Jimi Hendrix, Metallica, right. all Disturbed, stuff like that. Yeah. And the name of my show was The Fight After Church. Uh, still one of the best named things I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was great. It was an hour, 11 to midnight, Monday to Friday, and I played metal and punk rock and B-sides from bands that we play. And when I started doing that, I did it for like six months, and doing that was so validating that it just canceled everything else I was doing. Doing a regular shift wasn't the same, even though like, like it's all pre-programmed, and because of that, my program director, this guy E. Curtis Johnson, who I hope to thank from a podium someday, he yeah. like really really helped push me forward into comedy like uh he he was like well since you're not programming the station you got to be funny give stuff away do bits play games be funny talk to callers just like be a personality um even though i was doing that by the end of running my own show where i played my own shit i just couldn't handle playing like lincoln park and stuff i just couldn't take it anymore and you combine that with the fact that the station was a clear channel station. It always comes down to pride. I yeah. can't play this shit. <laughs> not, yeah. not on my watch. Yeah, I re I remember too being in and there's like there was some some drama crap that happened at the hands of the major corporation I work for. But I was in there some like Sunday doing my noon to four shift, and I look up at the program computer and the playlist was something like Lincoln Park. Oh, also, we had just realized in a new, like, um, ratings book, I don't even know, we, it sort of, we sort of found out that um, the 18 to 34 or 24 demographic had shrunk immensely in Fresno, and 24 to 45 or 35 to 54 had gotten way bigger. Yeah. Uh, so... We were going to play stuff that appealed to them, and so I looked at this playlist, and the playlist was like, Linkin Park... Corn, Nirvana, which I love, and then Dio. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and I was like, man, what the fuck? You got to be kidding me. Now I'm playing Linkin Park and Dio. I'm fucking out of here, dude. <laughs> you got your principles. <laughs> But yeah. you were probably, but also, mm -hmm. I've imagined the mm -hmm. pressure of dealing with a queer channel outlet and the, you know, kind of trying to honor how they spin those fucking Arbitron ratings. And Absolutely. It's just like, it's a fucking nightmare. Well, and Clear Channel fucked us. Rick and me in particular, tw and me twice. They, they were just doing dirty shit. Like, I, it was a nine or 10 station cluster. They, in 90 or 91, had bought a smooth jazz station. And the two guys who had founded it worked there and were the DJs there. 
And then while I was there in 2004 or five, they uh, flipped it to a country station and fired the guys who founded it. And that's just cold, man. That's just dirty. They didn't even give them a chance. They didn't even give them another job. They're just like, fuck you. Get out of here. You founded a station. Thanks for the station. Day. They that let them day. do their shift. Get the fuck out. Back your boxes. Yeah. And um, they were firing people that were like tenured, had worked, had kids, had worked there for 20 years. It was gross. And so Rick Rodham and I um, were working together a lot at this point. I was doing stuff on his show. And he had been doing afternoons there for like five years. And uh, and he was like, you know what? It's time for me to move up to mornings. That's the that's like the big dog at a at a radio station like yeah. that. Afternoons is is like second best, right. and then morning is the big thing. He because you just talk. There's no music. So he like put a. We had our own morning show that had been there for like 15 or 20 years that people loved, but they were kind of on their way out. And Rick really felt that way, so he made a proposal for his morning show, and the morning show was going to be. Him, I was going to sit second chair, and then our intern, our stunt guy, would be this dude, Manhole. Yeah. Um, who is still a DJ at uh, this With station. that name? Fresno- Manhole. Okay. I think he's just Drew now. Okay, but, good. Uh, yeah. You don't want Manhole uh, to stick for your whole I life. I know, yeah. exactly. Well, maybe he yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, so he puts this proposal proposal forth. They accept it. Rick tells me, like, we haven't signed anything, but they told me for sure we're going to be the new morning show, and it's like three months from now. The day comes, I'm working my day job. He calls me at work, and they're like, yeah, we just had a meeting. They fired the morning show, and they're syndicating Man Cow out of Chicago. Oh, that guy. Yeah, man. Yeah. And by the way, it panned in Fresno. It bombed so hard, you Man Cow. local morning show. That was their big idea to, to, to syndicate morning shows. And morning shows, people want to hear about the, the neighborhood. Exactly. About the old Coke factory that right. blew up or whatever. Uh, and... Uh, so Rick loses his mind, and Rick is like a very intense person when he's angry. Yeah, I went over to his house that night. He was wasted, and he goes, he tells me he's like, Dave, tomorrow we're gonna do one of two things. Either I'm gonna go into work and I'm gonna quit, or you're gonna go into work and you're gonna operate the board while I do a live remote pissing on the general manager's dead wife's grave. And I was like, do the first one. <laughs> that, that second one is evil. And uh, he did the first one. He quit. And so there's this weird power vacuum where there's myself. I'm part-time. They were keeping me at 30 hours a week so I couldn't get a raise or benefits. Yeah. Because Clear Channel is garbage. Um, Manhole, who's also doing shifts. Big Snacks, another friend of mine. Yeah. Uh How's he doing, Big Snacks? He's doing great, man. Good. Talked to him the other day. Yeah. yeah. I think he's uh, some sort of security manager in Fresno. He's he's good. Um, uh, Coyote, who yeah. ran the night show. Yeah. And we're all like vying, right? And uh, I quit my day job because um, I figured, screw it, man. At least I could be the afternoon DJ for two months. And right. I was. Everyone else had a job, so I was just the afternoon DJ while they were looking for someone else. Super fun. So fun. Manhole hears that I quit my day job, assumes that that means that I got the job, quits in a, like a fury live on the air. I don't even know what he said, but he was like, I quit, <laughs> like runs, calls me to congratulate me. And I was like, dude, I didn't get the job. And on the phone, he was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he's gone. And uh, then so it's me and Coyote and Snacks and Ashton and someone else. And um, and then after three, four months of that, they hire 
the afternoon guy from the other rock station in town and just fuck over everyone who works at the station, you know? And that was the end? And that was the end. And that was it. Like, I sort of, like, bided my time a little bit. And uh, and I was like, and yeah. And then I, I wasn't feeling good about the music. And I, literally, my last break on air was me going on a socialist rant about how major corporations are ruining the country. But I was just leaving because I was pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well make it big. Yeah, totally. And then you came down here? And then I came back down here, moved in with some friends, uh, got a job doing some like web bullshit and uh, was drunk for a while. Well, okay. So actually at the end of being a radio DJ, I knew I was going to leave. Rick and some other people had tried stand up. I tried it. I hated it. I mean, I loved it, but I hated it. I was so afraid. After my first set, I, I had drank a whole bottle of Jack Daniels and uh, I got an argument with a woman about Jesus it was at the end of a music open mic in Fresno, California. I bombed, got an argument with a woman about Jesus. My friends tell me that apparently a guy heckled me, and I, I said back, oh, yeah, nice shirt. That's what I said. Yeah. I was drunk. I cried after that set. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was like, fuck this. And then I did it a few more times in, um, in that year. After you were hooked. I, I was hooked, but I was also afraid. Yeah. I moved back to L.A., did it like probably five times total in 2006. Too afraid. I would hate going up. It would make, I would shake on stage. For a month, you'd be thinking about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like r trying to write new jokes for every set and uh, just like dread being at an open mic and dreading them calling my name. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. And uh, I've and forgotten was, that, but yeah, I remember. It's horrible. You're on the list and you're like, I'm on the list. Uh, Get me off that list. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's horrible. I don't want to happen. Do this. <laughs> I remember being at the comedy store open mic and uh, and a dude coming up to me and being like, hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Can't wait. And I was yeah. like, I just want to get this shit over with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he goes, why are you doing it then? Yeah, 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 uh, and yeah. I think that was the last set I did. Because uh, I was oh, like, yeah. he's right. Why am I doing this? I hate this. And I was afraid for three years. And then I and then I started. And then it, you got better? You, you felt better about it? Or? Well, you know, I had something help me start. My friend Julie Cohen who's still one of my best friends. Uh, she, when I tried it in 2006, she, um, she tried it and stuck with it. And she has since quit. It's not her thing. She yeah. wants to write and make movies. Right. But she, uh, she, three years in, was running an open mic, fired her co-host. Yeah. And this whole three years, she had been bothering me every now and then to go to a mic with her. And I would make up an excuse like, oh, I got stuff to do. Yeah. I'm a, I was afraid. And, uh, and, uh, so she basically just like called me a coward until I was like, fine, I'll co-host your open mic with you. Yeah, you crying wuss. Yeah, you little bitch. Yeah. Everyone knows you're a little bitch, you little bitch. Uh -huh. And uh, so I, like that might have even been what she said. And uh, I co-hosted the open mic with her. It started in March of 2009. And every Sunday until August of 2009, I co-hosted with her. Didn't do a set, didn't do jokes, just like tried to be funny, bringing people on and off stage. And that doing that, I was nervous and I would shake and stuff, but there wasn't the pressure of like the laughter. Right. So doing that sort of like worked the demons out of me. Eased you in. Eased me into it. Yeah. And then around in August of 2009, Julie, without telling me, just booked me on a show and then told me I was on the show and that I had to do it. <laughs> and so I started going to Mike's. And this time I, I went to a mic, I went to, uh, Vance Sanders and Robert Yasamura's Tuesday mic at uh, Westwood Bruco. I went up, I bombed, and it was awesome. 
I was like, this is awesome. I had a, I had like a much more positive outlook on it. And I was like, I'm doing this every day. This is the fucking best. And then I was like, that was I it. was hooked. I went up every day, <laughs> three, four times a day if I could. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. That's how I. And now it. like, where's the, where's the career at? You're opening for Kyle. You got the terrified podcast on the Nerdist network or no? I'm on Nerdist. Yeah. Yeah. Things are going really well. I'm really, I'm really happy. I just got back from a two month tour, which was the, uh, the first real tour I ever did. Uh, it was so fun. Part of that was opening for Kyle. A lot of it was uh, headlining small alt rooms and uh-huh. bar shows myself, um, or you know, like you know, weird uh, showcases in New York, and just all. I did every type of show. I got back. I headlined the Improv for the first time, which was like incredible. They asked me to do that, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel great about stand up. It's <laughs> It's well, weird. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's been quite a journey for a 31-year-old man. Had you talked to me two months ago before I left for the tour, yeah. this would be a very different conversation. Well, you were booked and we rescheduled it, so I'm glad we got it to this day. Me too, because that I literally would have been like, Mark, I don't know what the fuck. I'm going to fucking don't know, man. And you know what, buddy? <laughs> You're going to feel that way again. Uh, two days from now. Well, yeah. it was good talking to you. Yeah, you too. All right, that was good. That was a, I enjoyed talking to him. I was happy that Paulie stopped by. I feel punchy and giddy. Go to WTFPod.com. Do some business there. I think we're going to restock the uh, merch for Christmas. Things are happening. I think I do better when I'm tired.